Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips for moms. We are your hosts. I'm Kelly, a wife, mom of two, and an independent consultant with my own company in Chicago. And I'm Jessica, a wife, mom of three, and owner of my own outpatient mental health practice in Nevada. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious conversations about grief, life, and hardships. Whether it's a duo episode or we have a guest, you are guaranteed to pick up a new tool or feel less alone. This one is for the moms that have forgotten how to make time to keep their spark alive. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. In today's episode, Kelly and I were able to interview money coach, podcaster, and best-selling author, Lisa Chastain. Lisa is a professional money coach that helps passionate and successful women shed the shame and guilt around their finances and to focus on healthy spending instead of restricted budgeting. She is committed to supporting women to become the financial leaders of their lives. We talk with Lisa about our limiting beliefs with regards to money, about her background, how she helps women now. And also Lisa gave us a few tips on how we can kind of view our budget and spending during this holiday season. Enjoy. Welcome, Lisa. We're so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm grateful to meet both of you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this world. You know, I want to start with hearing about your purpose and mission with your work and your money coaching business. Okay. Well, we could be here all day, so I'll give you the Reader Digest version. I'm born and raised in Las Vegas, grew up in the northwest side of town, went to Cheyenne High School. Today, I live over on the other side of town. We call it Hender Tucky. I'm in Henderson, similar to where you are, Jessica. And I'm on a mission, very big mission that I'm inviting anyone that's listening today to join me on. And that is for women to become the leaders of the world financially. It's a big ask. It's a big task. But it's with these conversations that I think that it, that it will continue to see progress and make progress together and to inspire other women to take on the leadership role financially for themselves and for the rest of the world. Where that came from is I'm a blue collared girl. My dad is from Georgia, didn't grow up with anything and relocated to Las Vegas when he was 17 years old to live the American dream, to make a better life for himself. He met my mom much later in his late 20s, 30s, but he spent from 17 years old going to Las Vegas high school. He almost didn't make his high school graduation because he started working at that age. And working and working really hard as a as a stagehand. So growing up in Las Vegas, if you aren't familiar with Vegas outside of the Strip, it's very country. Once you like get out to the outer edges of Las Vegas, it's got this very Western feel. And I grew up on a dirt road, barely wearing shoes, growing up with hand-me-downs. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And they embedded into us solid values. And money, making money, growing money, especially as a woman, was not one of those values. It didn't click for me until my 30s that it's not my fault. I got where I got. I had what I had as a result of hardworking parents and great values. 
but I wasn't where I wanted to be in my life in my 30s. And I can, you know, to the extent that you want all the details, I'm happy to give them. But in my 30s, I woke up one day and went, what the hell am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? I left my career to be a stay-at-home mom. I love my son. He is my purpose and reason for life. And my adopted son is the same. But also, I did not recognize myself as a stay-at-home mom. And I had to find a new path and a new way. And that's how I started in this industry, in the money industry. So that's, that's the short of the long of it. I heard you, you know, Kelly and I love facts and figures and research. Okay. And I heard you say that women spend 80% of the world's wealth, but only earn 10% of it. Yeah. I was just like, yep, that, that's my experience. And I think that's also the purpose of what we're doing here, too, is that we do lose ourselves. And I, I think what resonates with me is that I was at a point where I realized I was letting my partner kind of do everything. So I've been married 22 years. You realize how in a long-term relationship, you can just lose yourself and not really know what was happening. And he was just kind of earning most of the money and doing all these things. And I was like, man, if our relationship ended, I would be totally lost. And I wanted to really realize my own financial potential. And so then I was like, I want to get myself to a situation that if anything happened, I could just keep on going. It wouldn't be this financial devastation because we separated. I loved hearing your journey. You're saying our programming, we weren't taught our worth. We weren't taught we could ask for our demand. And so it's just like being able to recognize our own financial um, power. You know, I love that. Yeah. This statistic that's really on my heart today as I dug further into statistics about women and wealth is that women own only 6% of the wealth in America today. 6%. I believe it. That's crazy. And in the next decade, so that's about $10 trillion. There's over $150 trillion in America in households cumulatively. We own 10 of that. So to hear that that's going to go up to 30 trillion in the next decade sounds hopeful, but it's also money that's going to be generationally passed down. So that's already happening. So that means the people that have the money today are going to keep the money. It's just going to transfer to more women. We have work to do. And I know that's why you're you're here and why I'm here is what is that work? so that that number can continue to go up. Yeah, and I I think, like I said, it's our programming. I also think when it comes to motherhood, then we can kind of get lost in that. And I don't think there's been a lot, and you ladies can correct me, but about how you can, I don't know, be powerful financially, but still be present as a parent. It's kind of where we're shown like one or the other. And I know I have one daughter and it's very important to me that we talk about flexibility in her career, but financial power and also flexibility that she's looking at. I was listening to your podcast episodes and I I love how you're vulnerable and share your story. And I wanted to ask your thoughts on asking for help. I think that you, you, if, if I got it correctly, it seems like that was the turning point for you when you asked for help in your professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can you tell us more about that? Sure. I think the where it started was that I had to acknowledge that I didn't have it. I didn't know what I was doing. And in my mind, it felt like a massive kind of failure where I was watching my bank account dwindle, my savings dwindle, 
credit card, my credit card balances going up and my husband was in and out of work. So he's my ex-husband now, but I was I outwardly playing the game and pretending like I had my life together. And as a financial advisor at that time, that felt necessary because I felt like a fraud if People knew that I was failing or my, from my perception, failing financially, who would want to work with me? And that's, that's the sentiment of a lot of financial advisors, actually, is this imposter syndrome that if we don't have our financial lives together, what are we doing giving other people financial advice, which we, we are capable of, right? Like we're all on this journey figuring it out. But I knew I, I was smart enough to know and knew my money well enough to know because I was the one managing our household finances for the entire marriage was that if I didn't do something, I was going to be out of money very clearly. No credit card availability left, not in a position, especially as a financial advisor. Bankruptcy is not an option. You can't. I mean, if you do there, that goes on your record and it's a judgment against you. So like I'm spinning my wheels trying to figure out what to do. And I was working with my best friend at the time. She didn't even know that I was going through what I was going through. So financial isolation is a real thing, mm -hmm. which is why I talk about it so much, is that without perspective, whatever situation we're in, we can feel very isolated and alone and like we're not going to be able to get out. Right. So the asking help part was me taking a risk on a stranger, really. I mean, I'd been following her on Facebook and Instagram, and she was targeting me through Facebook messaging because I'm a financial advisor. And I was like, well, I have to do something. And this feels pretty safe to talk to a stranger because she knows nobody in my life about what's really going on. And that was the first step, is I just had a very open, vulnerable conversation with what was really going on. And she said, you're going to be okay. That was a breath of fresh air for me because it didn't feel that it didn't feel like I was going to be OK. So as a result of working with Robin and she's still one of my best friends today, that's the hand that I want to extend out to other women to say, hey, we can figure this out. And you were betting on yourself and investing in yourself at that time. Absolutely. I had twenty thousand dollars left because I had one hundred thousand dollars in my 401k. And so over the course of three years, I was steadily pulling out of my 401k to fund my business, to keep my marriage together all the things. And I knew that was it. When that money was gone, I didn't know what else I was going to do. I didn't think she'd actually let me hire her, to be honest with you. She was talking to successful, air quote, successful <laughs> financial advisors. Didn't feel very successful. But after a couple of conversations, she was like, you can be successful. You just don't know exactly how to do that. And I want to teach you how. So at that time, she was charging $10,000 for her mentorship. I paid her $10,000 and I had $10,000 left to figure it out. So I did. I had, I got to invest in myself and take a huge risk. Yes. And it's paid off. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be so scary to be in that position, especially if you know, you kind of grow up in a way that you're used to providing for yourself or you, you saw like your father provided for you and just knowing the responsibilities as an adult and to know that you're kind of like your back is so against the wall. The one thing I think that's so amazing about your story is the risk-taking part. And I feel like some of the challenges with women and their earnings is that is being afraid to take a risk and to kind of put yourself out there. And like Jess was saying, like really invest in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. 
loving yourself, having compassion for yourself, believing in who you are in your own power, just so hard for a lot of women to do. We're so used to helping others and giving to others that turning back on ourselves is really challenging. We have to change the framework from which we operate. And it is a huge challenge. You had said this, Jessica, about our programming and having gone through now my own certifications in neurolinguistic programming, which is what I'm incorporating into my practice today, is that that programming is instilled in us before the age of seven. And we, in this conversation, we are the ones that have to model new behavior for our younger women. And I have a lot of clients in their 50s and 60s that come to me to say, we have to be willing to do something different, which is going to challenge our belief system and our programming to have a new result. And it's really scary for me. I have three times been threatened by my family that they would disown me. Two probably good reasons, but over the, over challenging my family's belief system and my family's operating system by me stretching outside of that and breaking through my own beliefs, I had to risk relationships as much as I had to risk financially. And I'm still doing that. And it does take a community. At that time, for me, it was it was Robin Crane and the Femme Mentorship of other women coming together and championing each other when on days no one in my life was supporting me. I think like what makes me sad is is that we, to some extent, at least for our generation, we have to. But like I was so horrified. I was at a softball tournament was it two weeks ago and there was like a 12U tournament and the coach was like, and you're going to have to deal with menopause and you're going to have to deal with your period and having babies. And then the male coach was like, and we have to deal with all of it. And the woman was like, and men aren't going to help you. And I wanted to like jump over this and be like, do you realize you're just you have a group of 12 year old girls staring at you and you just told them don't expect any help from a man. And so when we are going through this and we are struggling and we're trying to do everything and it feels terrible, we're like, oh, well, it's supposed to feel terrible because men aren't going to help us in any way. We're trying to get women to support women and to understand that we don't have to be alone and we don't have to struggle. And it's not okay that we're struggling. It doesn't need to be normalized. Mm, yeah. yeah, very true. Very true. And well, I think part of it, though, too, is not being afraid to say your truth and be vulnerable and know that nobody's perfect. You know, the moments when you have a conversation with a person and you're sharing some really intimate, deep experience or struggle and you realize other people, everyone has struggles. And I think finding a tribe and having those conversations is such a great support network. But I think too, Lisa, what you were saying is finding those who do support you, right? Who build you up and make you better versus those who detract right? Those who kind of aren't there helping you out, maybe aren't there looking out for your best interest and really finding ways to kind of navigate that. I mean, how do you talk through some of those who you work with about mm -hmm. that, about sort of like the relationship side of things? There, there's so many complexities and dynamics yeah. to relationships. Mm -hmm. There's work relationships, familial relationships, friendships, working colleague relationships. And one of the first things that I invite my clients to do is take all of the people 
and even even in conversations about money, just take it and put it to the side and bring the I back into the conversation. Because as soon as we focus out and start talking about other people around us, who are we focused on and for what purpose? It could be fear. It could be, you know, fear of shame, guilt. Those relationships end up being mirrors for us. So the first thing that we want to do financially or otherwise is silence that and look inward. And that is what I do in my coaching sessions and in my workshops is for a moment, stop worrying about everyone else around you and just get quiet and have the courage to look inward and ask yourself, what do I really want? And am, am I living this life for me or someone else? And if the answer is I'm not living this life for me, I'm living it for my parents, for my kids, for, for whoever, that's where the transformation needs to occur. And for modern women today, that's, that is the conversation we need to be having. Whose life am I living and for what purpose? Absolutely. You did that yourself, right? Being your authentic self, that risk with your family, mm -hmm. that with relationships. And you talk a lot about having healthy relationships and having to let go of people who are kind of holding you back. Yeah, I do. It's not necessary for everyone. It was ne very necessary for me. I'm the baby of the family and I was programmed and again, I don't blame anyone in my family for this. This is this is what it was. This is how I interpreted it. Yeah. I'm responsible, yeah. right? I'm the baby and I learned my value through supporting. So supporting my mom. I was the one picking up the slack at home when she wasn't there. Supporting my dad. If I wasn't supporting my dad, I didn't have value. If I wasn't watching his football game. If I wasn't participating in what he wanted to participate in, I didn't have value. Same thing with my siblings. And that, as I got older, got even harder because as my sister had kids, I was showing up for her in the middle of the night to help her. And I lost me. I lost me in that process only from a conversation that I didn't have value if I wasn't supporting other people to the extent that I stayed in a 16-year marriage with an alcoholic because I felt like if I wasn't supporting him, I wrung myself out. I turned myself inside out trying to make that marriage work. And I had nothing to show for myself at the end of it. I mean, I think it was 34, 35 years old and I was, my 401k was gone. My house was gone. My son and I, I was clinging to him to make sure he had what he needed. I had to take a long, hard look inward and ask myself, how is this, how is this helping me? Because it's, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. not. So I had to let go of relationships. I, I, I went through a divorce. I renegotiated relationships to find myself. That is where my success ultimately started, I believe. Now, I think that's so important to, like, we have to break that down, right? And I know that's where we started the podcast because Kelly and I both were going through that journey. And it's funny that you say it's no one's fault because our mom listens to the podcast. So she'll be like, well, I didn't know you had so much trauma all this trauma they have and then I and then I'm like mom mom like but we have to like we have to figure it out like why do I do that why is that triggering for me why you know what I mean why am I the way I am and even though I do have traits of the youngest and Kelly has traits of the oldest we're also only 18 months apart and we were treated like twins yeah and you have to kind of unpack all of that I know and I'm sure same for you your parents did the best they could with what they had 
but now we know better. And so we want to explore things through a different lens and and hopefully continue improving each generation. Well, and I think, you know, Jess and I, how we were raised and our parents taught us to have the weird relationship with money, Jess. It was a lot of spending, buy what you want, figure it out later, living paycheck to paycheck. I thought we were dead broke. So we internally yeah. differently. Like I thought we were going to like lose our house at any moment because that's where all the fights surrounded. It was very traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. I laid low. I started working at 11. I saved all my money and I was like, I'm going to save everything. And then Kelly, you were like, I want guest jeans. I, and- yeah. Ace with sneakers, and I just mm-hmm. that would tip us over the edge. Mm-hmm. Our parents are both the college graduates, and they. My mom said we made more money than we when we they got married, more money than they ever thought they'd have. And she said, like, if you knocked on the door, like they bought encyclopedias. She was like, we just bought everything, and so it was just kind of like you only live one kind of situation. That that was kind of like the attitude toward money that we grew up with. And I think like. We, as we got older, I mean, we both, our parents made a ton of sacrifices. We both had great college, college educations and were able to be successful. But I, I learned when I got out of the day I like graduated from college, my parents were like, here's your credit card bill. We were paying the minimum payments for the last four years. (laughs) And I, it was like $15,000 of credit card debt and a car payment and my loans and everything. And I inherited it all. And I had to, you know, pay for it. And I had a hard time with money and spending because I ended up making money and then I would just spend it all, you know, because I had it. And that was how like what I was raised. Right. And it's taken me a really long time to realize it's investing in yourself. There's so much to have financial security and to be able to have that have that financial freedom is also about not spending on stupid shit all the time. That's really hard. I think that's the hardest part for me is flipping that script, right? Do I really need this? Because that adds up to a lot of money, especially like you said, like women do a lot of spend. They're spending for their kids. They're taking care of the household or doing all these things. But I feel like half of what I'm spending on is really not adding value to my household. And I'm trying to change my own mentality of that. I love that. So that was that a question? How do you change yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. How do you, yeah, like what? How do you see sometimes even with your clients, like almost like that transformation about how they view spending money or that relationship? Well, it's it's very easy to talk about money and pinpoint the spending as the problem. And that if we just change our spending habits, everything would be magically different. And I've really spent time on this in in my own conversations with experts, in my own research, in my own training, to realize that spending one is necessary, very necessary. And two, for women, that's where we have our power. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we opened up with that question of 85% of the world's wealth is being spent by women. So what if we just stopped spending? What would happen to the economy? Right. We saw that, we saw, we saw that happen in the pandemic that companies literally went out of business. So if we if we can take a step back and ask ourselves, what's the purpose of spending in our lives and also realize that 95% of the decisions that we make happen in the unconscious mind. We cannot transform our spending relationship or our relationship with money from a conscious perspective. 
So budgeting, which is what the the title of my next book is Stop Budgeting. Mm-hmm. And I'm on a in a conversation now where to say budgeting is a is a conscious framework trying to control things that are actually happening in the unconscious mind. And I can I like see you. It, I don't know if this is a video podcast, but if you're listening to this, I just saw Kelly's eyes like go straight up into her head. Like, yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? We get to challenge the purpose of money in our lives altogether. And it's through asking powerful questions, working with coaches who know how to help you think on a more elevated level and connect into your unconscious mind about the purpose of money in the first place. If anybody's familiar with the Maslow hierarchy of need, once our needs are met, we can then work on our emotional needs. Once our emotional needs are met, we can think about the other things that are important and valuable in our life. Most people never surpass the needs conversation when it comes to money. So if you're just focusing on, well, my needs are met, I don't need to spend any more, you're going to stay in that cycle for the rest of your life versus what's possible when I have the courage to ask what my life is for in the first place. What is the real meaning of my life? What is it that I'm actually trying to accomplish? Those bigger kind of goals and conversations redirect where our money goes naturally. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you saying tapping into an overall purpose. What's our purpose? Yeah. I I love that too, because I do think like the whole idea of budgeting in some ways is, oh, well, then I have, you know, I spend a thousand dollars a month on eating out. So that's my budget. So I know that I'm going to write. So instead of being like, no, stop eating out and think about like just, and these are like little tactical things, right? We actually, our family have decided to like tighten the belt on everything because I, I think it started with having conversations even just about clutter. Mm-hmm. And we talked to, you know, we talked to Megan Sumrall, we've talked to uh, Katie Wells about just stuff. And mm-hmm. then it's sort of tied to money and like just spending and how it's all unnecessary. And like, what is the greater purpose? Wouldn't I so much rather be doing things and having a home filled with things? But that's my value set, right? That's they like what Correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, a tying of the budget also is <clears throat> you and I have made conscious decisions to make less money to be present for our family too, yes. right? You've reduced your caseload. My client load. Yeah. Mm-hmm. load, And so then it's like, I could continue living all of this way and I can make more money and that's great. But I think you've tapped into that higher purpose of being, and me as well, being present mm-hmm. with our families, mm-hmm. right? Oh, it's like, I, I worked like 2021, obviously mental health has been exploding, right? And like I worked so much, it was crazy. And I was like, wow, I can make so much more money. I have more potential than I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, was like, I was not there for my family. This was like really crazy. And it's like, okay, well, what is more important to me? And so there is a way I worked on my value. And so I raised my rates and worked less, which mm-hmm. you know, I know that's a, not always possible for people, but I've heard so much of what you've talked about, Lisa, about knowing your worth and women asking. And I just I I listened to one of your episodes where you you had you had coached a woman to ask for five dollars. She was negotiating for five dollars more an hour. And it was already more money than she ever made. And so she couldn't, she just was like, that's crazy to ask for yeah. five an hour. And so she asked for two and they immediately said yes. And then she was like, damn, when I could have asked for more. And so some of it, I know I'm, I'm like turning the conversation, but just us being able to like know our worth mm-hmm. and um, 
be able to, you know, ask, ask to be compensated for our worth. Demand it. Yeah. I think that for women, we have, we, we get to shift from even asking anyone for anything. Yeah. And demanding it. We still make 85 cents on the dollar for men in corporate America. And professionally, no one's holding us back if we have our own businesses, but us. Yeah. And it's, it's challenging our belief system. It's challenging our framework. It's challenging what we think people can afford. Or I, as a money coach, even my coaches challenge me all the time about what I'm charging and why I'm charging it. And I'm like, well, I, cause I know people's money. I know their situations. And so I, I then, who am I to decide though, what they're willing to invest, what they're willing to do to be able to get the help that they also want. It's this full circle conversation about what are we willing to do collectively and specifically American women to flip this conversation over on its head forever so that all women have the ability to make whatever it is that they want to make. And then that exchange for time. Yeah. Right. You know, goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had countless conversations over the, over more recent years I don't know, Lisa, if you noticed that too, just kind of like where you are life stage wise, where it's like my youngest is starting, he's kind of like middle elementary or like a couple of years into elementary. And I find a lot of moms who maybe did take that time off to be stay-at-home moms is they're ready to re-enter the workforce mm-hmm. after those couple of years where they're like, my kids are more independent now. I can be gone. They can go to aftercare or something like I can be focusing on something for more time. And now it's like, what do I do? And I, they're struggling with like how to kind of insert themselves back. They want to earn their own income, but they don't want to go back to what they were doing before and really trying to figure out what their purpose is. I mean, I've, a lot of them have used life coaches Mm -hmm. in terms of helping them navigate that. And it's also just really challenging for women to find ways to re-enter that workforce, you know, growing and the, the workforce is changing so rapidly taking stepping a few years out of where you were trying to re-enter in that exact same place it's already changed from when you left so that's one step that's a that's one thing that we have to consider but then the other thing is if you just change fields altogether mm-hmm. being willing to hit the reset button and do what you need to do in order to make that transition it's possible I'm working with a, a therapist client who stayed home with her kids until they were in high school. And then she went back to school, got her PhD. And when we met, she was making about $200,000 a year and she's built a million dollar practice. So where you start isn't where you're going to finish. Mm-hmm. And we have to have, that's where coaching and support comes into play is that you may not start out immediately making what you were making but what's the upswing of that when you do invest in yourself and get the tools and the coaching that you need? I believe that entrepreneurism is the future for women. 100%. 100%. I totally agree. Because mm-hmm. then we don't have to reenter anywhere. We just get to start. We just get to start mm-hmm. and create. Well, and if you think about it as helping each other, right? Help building each other right? Do you talk about that, Lisa, like abundance? Like I totally believe in abundance. And I started my practice and I had joined like a coaching group and they had talked about it. You know, a lot of people, when I tried to meet other therapists, like as referral sources, you know, it's like they want to forward, oh, yeah. forward referrals and they're like, no, I'm not referring to you. I'm taking every 
referral ever. And it's like, there is an abundance of clients. And it's like, let me get to know you because I'm not going to take everybody. Like I have specialty. And so it's like connecting, but it was really funny that people, I don't know, want to keep everything and hoard it. And like, there's a scarcity of money or something, right? But I love the idea that there's an abundance for all of us um, to be successful. There absolutely is. I did the math one day because I was in that same question of like money coaching. Because when I came onto the scene with money coaching, specifically in 2017, I had never heard of another money coach. And now uh, let's look, you know, eight years later, it's a thing. People are jumping into money coaching, which is really, really cool. But same thing. So if I think about what I'm capable of from an hourly perspective, how many clients can I really see if I don't scale in other ways? Maybe a hundred before I'm maxed out myself. And then I can train and coach other coaches and bring people into my practice. So how many people are in America, right? And for a therapist, we have 330 million people in America. And when you start to do the math, it's like you have to you have to step into your logical mind for a minute and go, wait a minute, what am I feeling scarce about? Even in the Las Vegas Valley, Henderson area, we don't have enough therapists. And and when then you go into specialties and areas of expertise, absolutely there's an abundance. And it's the scarce that competition, market competition that scares people. And not even realizing that like you can't help everyone. It's actually impossible. And why would you want to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting thought. It, do you follow Lynn Twist? No. Have you heard of Lynn Twist? Uh-huh. I would I would recommend her book. It's called The Soul of Money. And she has a new book out too. I adore her. She's on my list of people to meet like soon. I want to meet her and, and I love her work. But she says that the the opposite of scarcity is not abundance, which most people think. It's actually sufficiency. So when you live in sufficiency, I, I am sufficient. My life is sufficient. I have enough. I have enough. Then that opens up more for everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's true abundance. Yeah, yeah. I find it interesting too, like the more boundaries I set, and the more limits I set, the more successful I am. Yep. And I think that, you know, that's so interesting, right? Looking at our higher purpose and our mission. And when I continue to stay tapped into that, it's it's interesting. So I'd like to hear more about what it is like that. I, I know that you were a financial advisor for a few years and then you transitioned into money coaching. So, so can you kind of explain to us what the difference is for our listeners and then also kind of the services that you provide? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So financial advising is a field that is designed to sell financial services from a perspective of product and or money advisory. So advisory or management. Mm -hmm. So there are certain licenses to be able to be called a financial advisor. You must hold certain licenses to be able to do certain work. For example, I worked for a registered investment advisor and it was our job to have people send us their money and we don't actually have the money in our bank accounts or anything. It's actually, you know, we have a third party money manager. And then that money is being invested based on someone's goals, values, all of those things. So that's what financial advisors do. They manage and invest money for people or financial advisors who sell life insurance or certain financial products connected to the investment world. 
lot of people don't realize that, that in order to be called a financial advisor, you have to have a license to be able to do something with someone's money to help them manage their money or make sure that their money is being invested properly. Some financial advisors, like certified financial planners, do financial planning where they don't take your money or, you know, they don't invest your money, they don't manage your money, but they can help you put together a financial plan, a financial roadmap toward retirement. This industry was created mostly to help people figure out how to retire and then make their money work for them. It's a it's a big beast of an industry, but it's all wrapped around people's mostly their investments and protection of those investments. So money coaching typically does not involve the actual investment side of the house. It more so aligns with helping people learn how to best manage their money from a perspective, traditional conversation of budgeting, saving, having healthy conversations in households, and looking at your relationship with money. So if someone's calling themselves a money coach, they're, they're typically not as a, a part of the investment world. Mm-hmm. They're more so just helping make helping you have a healthier relationship with money, working on money mindset, and also how to successfully manage your, manage your household finances. And then also uh, what I do is I work into the framework of how do I make more money? I do coaching for and consulting for businesses around the, the management, actual day-to-day management and planning of money that's not investment related. Is that helpful? Yeah. 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 And not everyone needs a financial advisor. Not everyone needs a money coach. It's really deciding on who are the right people to help you with what you have going on right now. For me, my goal is that I can teach my clients sustainable systems and frameworks. I can help them shift their mindsets. I can help them grow, learn how to grow their money or make more money. And then also successfully work with a financial advisor. That's the ultimate goal for me. That's a successful client is that they have learned how to hold on to money. They've learned how to save money into different buckets. And then we bring the financial advisor. Well, now that I have this money, how can I invest it? How can I make it grow? And it sounds like you do a lot of work with the mindset piece. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I went through my own personal development program. It's an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming Based Program here in Las Vegas in 2014. And that for me was a great way for me to challenge my own beliefs and really understand what feedback is and how people are just mirrors for ourselves. And also distinguish between where I'm living as a victim versus being responsible in my life, being at cause for my life. And so I've been on that journey in personal development since then. And more recently, I've, I've gotten my certifications in neurolinguistic programming. One of the most well-known neurolinguistic-based programs out there is Tony Robbins stuff. Okay. It's all the mindset, believe to achieve, right? You've got to shift that, but it, it, what I can do now and what, I, what I'm helping my clients do is shift from the unconscious mind and re, rewire. That's a hot word in coaching right now. How do you rewire yourself? Mm-hmm. Also in therapy, mm-hmm. yeah. therapists do EDMR. We use neuro-linguistic programming on our side of the house to help challenge, understand, and, and shift belief systems wow. so that we can actually have what it is that we say we want. I mean, that's a lot of transformation for an individual to to go through. 
having gone through therapy myself too, making ch- changing a habit, right? That you have these well-worn paths that are so comfy to fall into and trying to forge through. It takes a lot of courage too. How do you keep your clients motivated to keep kind of leaning in? Well, I, one, I, one is figuring out what their motivation actually is because I can't want something more than someone else. But through powerful questions and exercises, understanding for themselves what their motivation is and keeping them connected to that keeps them on the path. And it it helps someone have the courage to have the conversation. If you want a healthy marriage, first, let's figure out what that means to you and why you're motivated to to have that and then create the action that's going to create that. Also, our unconscious mind works with repetition. The best way to rewire yourself from the unconscious mind is to repeat over and over again certain mindsets and behaviors. And so you have to stay at it. It's not going to happen overnight. So I ask my clients to engage in at least six months. And one of my first asks is just keep showing up because to keep, you know, to be realistic mm-hmm. about it, you're not going to transform your life overnight or from one therapy session or from one coaching session. But once you know what motivates you and then you know what it is that you really want, consistent, committed action, consistent, committed action from that place. What are you what motivates you? What do you want? Let's keep working toward that. And where does with the work with your clients, where does spending come into play? It's one of the first conversations that we have. Because usually that's the pain point or the belief that it's their spending behavior that's causing all the drama or all the trauma, you know, because we can pinpoint it pretty tangibly to isolate the problem. So when people come to me for money coaching, the first thing we do is really look at what are they making, spending and keeping so we can isolate the problem and we can figure that out. So having a healthy relationship with spending is one of the first things that I work on is that we can't make spending bad and we can't make you wrong for spending, but we can make tiny tweaks and give you clarity on what you have to spend and for what purpose mm-hmm. so that we can take that unhealthy conversation and we can transform that first. So then we can focus on what else might be the problem. Yeah. yeah. So I give I, I my clients, the first thing they do is transform their relationship with spending by just opening a spending account. I talk about that in my book. If you just opened a spending account and you gave yourself money to spend versus a budget that's trying to wrangle you in, you have to know what you have to spend. But if we can get control and clarity there, then we can look at the greater purpose of money in your life. So if we're, if we're thinking of the holidays and some of us go into a lot of debt, right? So we didn't mm-hmm. have a budget. We are trying to have, we're working on our relationship with money and we're, where we want to get ourselves in a spot where we feel really good. What, what are some things that could kind of help us? Well, first, you have to remind yourself that the train has been moving your entire life. And there's a reason for holiday traditions. And in our unconscious mind, that repetition and and those traditions feel really safe for us. And also others' expectations of what the holidays are going to be. So we attach that all to spending and that experience of the holidays that we're going to sit around the tree and we're going to open these presents, whatever that is. So I'm going to ask or invite anyone who doesn't want to go into debt this holiday season to sit back and ask yourself, what is the experience that I ultimately want to create? How do I want to feel? 
What do I want to know as a result of having this experience? What do I want to see? Tap into your own purpose for the holidays. Because studies show that experience, you, you had mentioned this, Kelly, experience over things, people will say over and over again that they derive more happiness. So what's the actual experience this holiday season? Slow the train down for a minute and do it now. Yeah. Do it now and ask yourself, what's the experience that I want to create this holiday season? And rework the way that you're going to operate this holiday season which then can then you can come back to money and look to see what you have and how you can utilize that to create the experience that you actually want versus just letting the train go, which is what it's been doing your whole life. And then you're in this train wreck of debt and then you're cleaning it up the rest of the year. Yeah. The next year. Is that helpful? Absolutely. And I think it is. It's so like all of it's so emotional. Mm -hmm. A lot of work to do. Like I there, there's there's so much behind all of it you know and I know for me I wanted we traveled a lot during Christmas we didn't like wake up in our home at Christmas we were traveling and I wanted to create this certain experience for my children and it was excessive I know Kelly talks about it from like 13 years ago about the excess of when my children were like three and one but then you have all this crap and it doesn't feel good and so I always have to tap in to that feeling of my kids opening up a pile of gifts and then walking away from it and tapping into the same thing. What do we want this to be about? And how do we have the, the focus be on what we say is important and not get kind of trapped in this whole consumerism? We have to be mindful that the market marketers have our numbers. Oh, for sure. 100%. They know psychology. They know how our brains work. And we are inundated, inundated with subliminal messaging and messaging about spending. And it does require us to get quiet, get off your phone, get off the TV, turn it all off and ask yourself the question, for what purpose am I celebrating the holidays? For what purpose am I spending this money? And that's, it is challenging, but with people, conversations like this, I think that it's possible. I believe it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. That's where it starts. Yeah. That's where it starts is you've got to be aware of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so awesome. Yes. I, I know we just scratched the surface too in a lot of ways. So yeah. I, I love I love listening to your podcast. I, I love hearing I I know you're curious. It's like you see this person's life and you're like, wow, look at this life and look at all the things they have. And they have this business. And it's like, no, we want to go behind the growth, the pain like all of the stuff that happened for them to get there and learn their real journey. And that is so what we're yeah. about, like hearing the journey to get, you know, to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It serves no woman, in my opinion, for me to just say, hey, look how successful I am and look at all these things that I have today. It's taken a lot to get here. And I know for for you, Every day in your lives, it's the same. And for every woman on this planet, it's the same. That's why I titled it Real Money. I want to have the real conversations so we can learn and model and know that we're not alone, but we can do it. And by learning from other women, how that's being done. I love that. Yes, mm -hmm. we can do it. We can. We will. To find out more about Lisa, you can check out her podcast, Real Money with Lisa Chastain. 
On social media, she's Savvy Money with Lisa. Her website is lisachastain.com and her first book, Girl, Get Your Shit Together. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom. And while you're there, it would be great if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources, check that out at ChasingBrighter.com. And we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.